This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Hello and welcome to Where Parents Talk here on 105.9 The Region. Great to have you along. Thanks for joining us. I'm Leanne Castellino. Every week, we tackle topics affecting teens, youth, and young adults with the goal of providing their parents with science-backed strategies, the lived experience, and proven tips from our invited experts. Our guest today is a familiar name in the parenting sphere and has been for well over 40 years. She is the author of five international best-selling books on subjects ranging from bullying, interdiscipline, and conflict resolution, among other topics. A speaker, a consultant, and an educator, she has taught in classrooms and at the university level. Barbara Coloroso is a mother of three and a grandmother of three. She joins us today from Colorado. So great to have you join us, Barbara. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Leanne. It's, it's a real joy. Someday, Toronto for real. Soon. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Someday soon, yes, for sure. You know, so many things come to my mind in terms of what to talk to you about. But before we get specific, I'm curious, as someone who's been on the parenting front lines for for so many different uh, vantage points over the years, what are some of your general observations on being a parent today? Being a parent today is unique. Uh, because we are dealing with the pandemic. But my great-grandmother dealt with the same thing. My mother lived through the polio epidemic as a a mother, and I lived through it as a child. And so I am now watching my own children, my grandchildren, navigate with a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 13-year-old through these very trying times, but also seeing their optimism and resilience. And what I find uh, with this uh, generation of parents uh, is um, a real reassessment of what really matters. And it took a pandemic maybe for many to be faced with, what is this really all about? How, where does work fit in my life? And how can I best serve my children? So I think that examination has been helpful through all this crazy time. Uh, I mean, it, going through the normal losses, uh, I wrote a book, Parenting Through Crisis, in times of chaos, loss, and grief, and added now to it and COVID-19, because families are experiencing the same losses and griefs that have happened for generations, but compounding that is multiple losses um, in terms of the pandemic and fear that kids and, and parents have not faced before. And uh, young teenagers, their job is to get out, uh, to begin moving away from mom and dad. Um, The uh, teenagers who had headed off to university now returning home, these are all adjustments that had to be made during this time. We're also, sadly, seeing a a rise in the uh, deterioration of young people's mental health during this time. Without question. Uh, Now, I want to talk about one of your books. Uh, In 2003, you published a book entitled The Bully, the Bullied, and the Not-So-Innocent Bystander. And the book provided proactive strategies on bullying intervention and prevention, among other things. When you talk about mental health as the example that you just gave, 
Uh, this is a source of mental health issues in many families, and we're talking about bullying. What strikes you most about the theme of that book that you wrote against the backdrop of today's world? Well, we all know that once you're targeted, you become a different person. Um, and you are, if you are repeatedly targeted without any relief, and compound that with the fact that it isn't just the bully and the person targeted, we have all those not-so-innocent bystanders and the various roles that they play who can compound the pain of the kid who's been targeted, the humiliation, the degradation, the dehumanization that takes place in bullying. And I must add, online and offline, because my generation didn't deal with that. My own children's generation, they were the really the, the first generation to even face it. But now this generation, uh, we have to begin to look at the good, the bad, and the, the truly ugly and awful in terms of that 24-7 targeting of a young person. And who contributes to that? Nobody stays in a healthy frame of mind when they've contributed in some way to harming another human being. So when we're talking about that bystander behavior piece, which I think often gets overlooked because the focus is, uh, you know, as, as I guess maybe in some ways it should be on the bully or the bullied, but the bystander has an important role. So is there an optimal way to speak up or speak out as a bystander in today's world? Well, I actually have a fourth character. And that is the brave-hearted kid, the antithesis of the bully, the kid willing to stand up, speak out, step in, do the right thing when the burden is heavy. Just very briefly, there are a variety of bystander roles. There's the henchman who does the bully's bidding, the active supporter who videos it and posts the harm that was done so that other people can laugh. Because remember, bullying is about getting pleasure from somebody else's pain, the person we held in contempt. And then there's the uh, passive supporters who look at the TikTok and laugh at the pain of this young person. The disengaged onlookers who turn a blind eye and say, oh, boys, big boys, girls just want to be mean. It's part of growing up. I'm not going to get involved. But there's also that potential witness, the kid you did raise to act with integrity and civility and compassion. But they're afraid of getting hurt. They're afraid of becoming a new target. They're afraid they'll make it worse no matter what they do. And they really are fearful because they don't know what to do. But then that person gets a headache because they know they should step in but didn't. But then they start making excuses. Uh, he's not, uh, the, the bully's my friend. It's not my problem. It's not my fight. Uh, the targeted kid's not my friend. She's a loser. He deserved to be bullying. Ask for it. And ratting on your peers is not cool. All those silly excuses. And then you finally rationalize all the pluses to not intervening minus the negatives to intervening and your headache's gone. So those are all the not so innocent bystanders. But there is that one person when the high status social bully says, I don't like the new girl. If you want to be in my group, don't eat lunch with her. I want your daughter to be the one to go sit next to the new girl. I want your son in the locker room when the high status social bully says, Let's get that kid. He's different because of his race, religion, gender, physical or mental ability. The big five are hate crimes. What makes a hate crime different than any other crime? It's criminal bullying. Let's mess him up. I want your son to be the one to say no, to stand up, speak out, step in. 
when it will cost him. The young girl will get probably almost goody two shoes or your next than the young boy might get. What are you, chicken? What are you just like him? But raising a child to be that witness, resistor, and defender, that brave hearted kid, meaning means you and I have to look at our behavior. We have to walk the talk, but also talk the walk. How do you treat hired help? How do you treat somebody moving to the grocery store slower than you'd like them to? How do you treat the new neighbor who looks different, has a different language as a first language, has a different fate tradition, eats different foods, dresses differently than you do? Your children are watching. And how do you treat the bigoted relative at the family gathering? Because we all have bigoted relatives somewhere on the family tree. Some just are on the branches or right there at the table spewing bigoted comments, thinly disguised as jokes. Can your children hear you saying, I'm bothered by that, or that was bigoted, or that was racist? When all the other relatives roll their eyes, say, what, can't you take a joke? Not that kind. And your children will see you standing up and speaking out, even when mom says, look, it's Uncle George, he's old. Old is never an excuse. I'm 74. Old is never an excuse for mean and cruel. And can you, in that most uncomfortable moment, said, Mom, I don't want my children to ever believe that it's ever okay to make those comments, no matter who you are or what your age is. Your chances of having a child go sit next to the new girl or step in between the boys in the locker room have been greatly increased. And so we have to look at our own behavior. And we are basically, uh, in both of our countries, swimming in a culture of mean right now. And we have to be those ones to stand up, speak out, step in, do the right thing, knowing that it might cost us as well. That's how we can embolden our young people to do that. Uh, To talk to them about the fact that you're unique and I'm unique and we have a common humanity. We're interdependent, interrelated, and interconnected. And especially with our tweens and on up. It's so important that they recognize their very uniqueness, the beauty in that uniqueness, and the beauty in our common humanity, that we're interconnected. Um, There is no I without thou. There's no we without a community. So we, um, at all ages, and I'm a grandmother now, um, an elder, so to speak, and I think we can all have an impact on one another. I I had to go to Zoom. Uh, March 13th, uh, 2020, because all the lectures were canceled. And I had to call my three grandchildren and say, help me out with this Zoom. And the youngest, bless him, uh, wanted to put grandma in an owl on Zoom animated. He said, because you're supposed to be wise. So you'll look fine. I said, can we get to other things? You know, they're all willing to help us. And all three of them helped me get a better presence on Zoom. I think we have to say that we have a lot to teach them. They have an awful lot to teach us. And their resilience um, today uh, is something that we have to reinforce, but also celebrate because uh, the, the hardships that so many of our young people have experienced. Uh, Dr. Alice Miller worked with kids who had been involved and right in the middle of wars, and she found truly uh, battered children, those who, who thrived and not just survived had one thing in common, all of them, one person in their life who cared deeply about them, whether it was an educator, a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle, um, an older sibling, one person said, you matter. And we have to watch as we walk down the street, if we're in the grocery store, if we're with our own children to be present to them, 
I, I talked about in the good times, kids need the Tao of parenting. Uh, it, it's a path. It's not the way. It's a path. Tao, T-A-O. It's like an acronym. It doesn't give you, us an answer. It gives us a path to the answer. They need our time. They need our affection and our sense of optimism. And I'm not talking that rose-colored optimism where all is right with the world because it certainly isn't. It's what Viktor Frankl, a death camp survivor, called tragic optimism. That when you have been brought to your knees in grief, can you get up in the morning, fix your children breakfast, say, we're going to get through this. We are going to get through this. And that helps our young people become even more resilient. But I would also caution you, many of our young people are suffering greatly and bullying is a, a big contributor. You say, well, they were on virtual. You can bully on virtual learning. Um, and uh, uh, in the off and the on-screen time that they had in their off-school time uh, can be devastating. And we have to be tuned into the signs that our young child is slipping into a depression that isn't going to just get written off, that they're truly moving into what we would call a clinical depression and get them the help they need. We are going to continue our conversation with international best-selling author, speaker, and educational consultant Barbara Coloroso in a moment. After the break on Where Parents Talk, we'll talk to Barbara about giving your teenager the gift of inner discipline. Stay with us. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. When it was published in 1999, Barbara Coloroso's book, Kids Are Worth It, Giving Your Child the Gift of Inner Discipline, quickly garnered rave reviews. Fast forward more than two decades later, and self-discipline is often a pain point for many young people these days, especially in the instant world we live in. So, Barbara, what would you say is a realistic approach for a parent in teaching their teen or young adult about self-discipline in the face of all the temptations that are out there these days? Thanks for asking that, because it's a really important question. I just have to go back to the fact that is that my book starts with preschoolers, <laughs> giving them the opportunity to do red pajama, blue pajama, and goes all the way up to getting your kid out of the local jail, which I hope you never have to do. But it, if it happens, there's tools for handling that effectively. But giving a kid responsibilities, decision-making, you say, but I didn't do that with my younger ones. It's never too late as long as you're both kicking and breathing. Um, and you can say to your 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old, you know, their responsibilities and decision-making opportunities I did not give you younger. You did what I told you to do. You wore what I told you to wear. You said the things I told you to say. And that will not serve you well in today's world. Not I blew it, you know, when is that, you know, and I heard this from some speakers say, no, this is where we're at. And by the time you leave home, you need to be making all of your own decisions and truly responsible for all of your own behavior. So let's look together at what responsibilities and decisions you believe you can assume today. Now, especially the younger ones are going to push for having more privileges and, and making decisions that rightly are still yours. 
Your goal is at that moment to constantly increase responsibility and decision-making and decrease limits and boundaries so that when they do leave, they're making their own decisions and responsible for their own behavior, not saying things like, he made me do it. Um, so so you, you look at what in their daily life, what decisions can they be making? For instance, I always talk about the brick wall and the jellyfish and the backbone. A brick wall parent, even throughout the teen years, will say, I am fully controlling the, what access you have to the internet and what access you have on your phone. So you put locks and guards all over the place, which doesn't teach a child how to think for themselves about those issues. But there have to be some safeguards for the younger ones. But you start letting those go. You trust but verify. Uh, and then pretty soon it's the absolute trust because when they head off to university, if you have been brick wall about it, they have no inner discipline, no self-control. And they will often get addicted at that point uh, to online media and the like because they don't have that inner discipline. The jellyfish parent just lets anything go and says, well, it didn't bother me in my generation. Well, the same things didn't exist in your generation. And the same kind of tools that are available now don't. So the backbone parent says, there's good, bad, and ugly on the internet, um, on the use of your phones. Let's look at how you can be safe on the internet safe with your cell phones and have a healthy etiquette about how you behave. And this is taking up teaching. We have to teach them to do this. And when they're younger, to um, model it yourself and uh, to teach them about the etiquette and the safety. As they get older, um, you want to start letting them freer and freer until such time if they ever violate it where they're harmful to somebody else or they've done mean and cruel things, then you have to pull back a bit and say, you're not ready yet to have that full responsibility, but I believe you can. So let's fix the harm that you've caused the best of your ability, figure out how you're going to keep it from happening again. And we've got to find a way for you to heal with the person that you did that great harm to remembering whatever you post is there forever. Um, and so it's a matter of teaching them to navigate the online and offline worlds safely and with good manners, even more than etiquette, just good manners, our relationship with other human beings. But it's never too late. If you haven't done it when they're younger, they didn't get to choose between red pajama, blue pajama, and you let it go when you pick red bottoms and blue top because it's not life-threatening, morally threatening, or unhealthy. And if it's not those three, I don't intervene. Um, you let it go. And it, right now you can say, well, what does he need to do? Give them what I call the, the, uh, the three R's, relax, recreate, and rebel. We want to teach them to relax, recreate, and rebel a bit. They need to be moving away from us to establish their own unique identity. But that goes accompanied with C, uh, and that's chores. They need to understand they're responsible um, human beings in this household. And we expect them to contribute. If they can contribute at home and then in the neighborhood and in their communities and then the larger community, that I, thou, and our common humanity, our interdependence, interrelatedness, and uh, uh, interconnectedness flows through. 
I've seen uh, protesting at the White House where young people are on a um, a fast uh, protesting against uh, things that are doing to harm the environment. These are our young people. We need to celebrate that they're willing to fast to make a difference. Um, and so I have high hopes for this generation, but I also know that what we're all going through right now and the many issues that we're going through, we need to be there to say, I believe in you. I trust in you. I know you can handle this. You're listened to, cared for, very important to me. The six critical life messages that every child needs every single day at home, at school, and in our communities. You are listening to Where Parents Talk here on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino in conversation with Barbara Coloroso, internationally acclaimed author, speaker, mother of three, and grandmother. We're talking about teaching teens and young adults about self-discipline. Barbara, so much to sort of delve into in terms of what you just described there. But I wonder, for a parent, father or mother, who they themselves may not be self-aware and have the the self-control that, you know, they should have. How did they go about teaching those very critical life skills to their children? By getting our own acts together. Mm -hmm. It's okay to say, uh, I'm lost. It's okay to say, um, I'm trying to figure this out um, and I need help. One of the healthiest things any of us as parents can do is to say, I need help. Um, and get the help that you need from, uh, maybe it's an elder in your community, maybe it is through uh, a, a group at school, or maybe it is through some therapeutic intervention. We all came to our parenting with parenting toolbox, compliments of our own families who raised us, the community we grew up in, and the culture we grew up in. Some of you grew up in very vital, functioning, healthy families. You're so lucky. You reach in for a hammer, you pull out a hammer, it serves you well. The rest of us who came from less than vital, functioning, healthy families, and I include myself in that group, uh, we reach in for a hammer, we pull out a hatch, or we make a mess of whatever we're trying to do. Um, and then we run to parenting workshops, we read parenting books, and we take all these techniques. But we've got to make the tools ours. We have to look at what tools do I have in my toolbox that are not serving me well with my own children, who, by the way, I have three. They were like day, night, and afternoon. What would work for one may not work for another. You have to be very flexible as a parent. Um, and, and what didn't work? Uh, I asked my, my two daughters when they had their children. And as a grandmother, I'd be taking care of them occasionally. I said to both of them, is there anything that dad and I, I always like to include him too, so it's not just me being blamed. Um, dad and I did. Uh, that you would not want us to do to your kids. And the oldest said, well, I might have to think about that. The second one said, yes, immediately. And Whoa, I looked at her and she said, whenever we were in trouble and we were out in public, you would grab our arm and squeeze tight. My heart sunk because my mother did that. And what I was unconsciously doing was pulling that hatchet out of my toolbox without thinking. And I said, I promise you, I will never, ever do that to a grandchild. Uh, had I wished I had known that younger, it's okay to ask your teenagers. They're pretty insightful. I had a boy leave one of our bullying lectures, go home and tell his mom, you got to go to the lecture tonight because you're brick wall. 
And she came back and she said, my son, I have to, has told me I have to come because I'm brick wall. And he was a teenager. And at the end of the session, she said, he's right. And I said, go talk to him and see how you can truly help him become, uh, come, become a person who has inner discipline as you are developing your own. You know, you had these tools. They were given to you. You accept them. Now you can change it. So it's never too late. Um, I work with troubled and troublesome teenagers. And people would say, why do you work with them? I said, why not? They are kids who are hurting. And we can make a difference in their lives. And they certainly made a difference in mine. So I think we have to have that sense of optimism. They need our time and they need our affection. Smile, hug, and humor every single day. Um, that will lighten the the heaviness of this pandemic, the heaviness of what each one of them may be individually going through. But also, um, when I work with uh, kids who have failed at their attempts at suicide, their parents say, well, we got him in therapy. We got him uh, out of that school. We did all of these things. What more can we do? I said, what's he doing? And they said, what? He's the one who was targeted. I said, precisely. What's he doing? James Natchway, the famous Canadian war photographer, said, do good because good is good to do. Is he working in a soup kitchen, Habitat for Humanity, nursery? One of the best ways to help someone move out of that pain is to do something for someone else. Uh, And so it isn't a cure-all, but it's an attempt to help them see that they have power in their own lives that they truly can make a difference in somebody else's life. And that is a wonderful, optimistic, hopeful note to end on. Barbara Coloroso, author, speaker, mother and grandmother, thank you so much for your time and perspective today. Thank you, Leanne, for having me. Remember, if you missed any part of today's show, you can always listen to the full podcast version anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. That is where parents talk for this week. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Leanne Castellino. Hope you'll join us next time. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region.